As a Protestant, I looked at the Catholic Church with a hypercritical attitude that I refused to apply to my own church. The doctrine that Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven at the end of her earthly life was ridiculous, unacceptable, since there was absolutely nothing in sacred scripture that remotely refers to such an event. The church's appeal to tradition was equally unacceptable. And that began to change, however, when I studied what the church really means by tradition. The Catholic and the Orthodox churches hold that scripture emerged from the tradition. Hear that? The scriptures emerged from tradition. Tradition came first. Now that was for me a most unpleasant discovery, but it answered some very vexing questions. Before the scriptures were written, how was the Eucharist remembered? How was it celebrated? Because it was remembered and celebrated long before the scriptures were written. Before the gospels were written, how was the good news of the gospel handed down? Before the scriptures were written, how did the hierarchy of the church develop? Because the office of bishop, priest, and deacon existed right from the get-go, long before the scriptures were written. The only reasonable explanation? The oral tradition of what Jesus said and did was handed down by the believing church, and this oral tradition would help to form the scriptures. Tradition, then, like scripture, is the work of grace, the work of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul urges the church to adhere to the oral, the oral tradition, the oral apostolic tradition, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, and in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Tradition, then, you could say, is the living memory of the apostles. Scripture and tradition are organically linked together by the Holy Spirit to transmit the fullness of the apostolic faith. Neither can stand alone. So the battle cry of that 16th century former Martin Luther, sola scriptura, scripture alone, is in fact unbiblical and therefore unsound. That the Blessed Virgin Mary had a powerful role in the early church cannot be denied by any reasonable person. She is the new Eve, the new mother of all the living, whose yes began the process of undoing the damage of the old Eve's no. Mary was the perfect disciple who had absolute confidence in her son. Now, some may object and pose a very good question. I certainly did it, and every Catholic needs to be able to answer it, not just the priests, you people.
If Mary was so important, why don't the scriptures say very much about her? And the answer is simple. The early church instinctively understood that in a dominant pagan culture, Mary could have easily been elevated in some kind of goddess figure. That was unacceptable and was to be avoided at all costs. Now, just consider, for example, the Blessed Virgin Mary lived with the Apostle John for the remainder of her life. Can you imagine the dinner conversations? Could you imagine the insights that the Theotokos, the mother of God, had and shared with John? Could you imagine the stories? And yet, isn't it interesting that John records Mary saying only one sentence in his gospel? It was at the wedding feast of Cana when she told the waiters and tells us through the gospel, do whatever he, Jesus, tells you. Sound advice to this day, but that's it. What is the source, then, for the doctrine of the Assumption? Well, actually, there are three sources. The first is the sanctity of the Blessed Virgin's life on earth as an unconditional yes to the divine will in all things, who offered all the potential of her lowliness to God in perpetuity when she declared, Anoki yebed Adonai, in Hebrew, I am the slave of the Lord. I hate that translation. I am the handmaid of the Lord. Ah, it doesn't say that. She says, I'm the slave of the Lord. Her ministry continued to the whole church as Jesus commanded when he said to her from the cross, Behold your son, referring not just to the apostle John, but to all who will believe in the gospel. And I mean all, not just Catholics and Orthodox. Her ministry then was not to end in death, but it was to continue until the end of time. The second source is history. There is a letter from the patriarch juvenile of Jerusalem around the year 440, who wrote of, quote, an ancient and most reliable tradition that at the time of the glorious dormition, the falling asleep of the mother of God, the whole company of the apostles were brought together in Jerusalem. Now, according to the patriarch, they were at Mary's deathbed, they witnessed her death, they buried her in a tomb, and three days later discovered the tomb was empty. The third source is the most notoriously conservative aspect of the church, the liturgy. Let me ask you, how many of you tried to get to a daily mass? Okay, this is a handful of you. Very good. Okay. You'll notice that at the, at the daily mass, I always use the second Eucharistic prayer. All right? It's the shortest one. Who wrote it? Oh, you cradle Catholics? Hmm? Pope St. Hippolytus, around the year 230, and Pope St. Hippolytus writes in the introduction to the Second Eucharistic Prayer that he did, not he did not compose it. Instead, he says, 
we, I received it from, quote, an ancient tradition of the church. This is 2.30. How ancient can you get? In other words, he could have easily gone back to that very first generation after the apostles, those like Irenaeus, Polycarp. We tend to forget that the church is deeply rooted in the past, not merely to preserve the past like a museum, but so the truth of the past can speak to the present and to the future, since truth offers hope, which is beyond all the dimensions of time. There is a document called the Armenian Lectionary. It was composed around the year 430. It gives detailed liturgical practices of the church in Jerusalem. And in that document, it describes in detail a liturgy in honor of the Theotokos, the Mother of God, on August 15th. And so the liturgy for the Dormition of the Theotokos, or what in the West we call the Assumption of Mary, is in all likelihood much older than the fifth century. The liturgy preserves an apostolic memory of an incredible event for all time. But why? Because the church understands that Mary's assumption into heaven was not just for Mary, but for all her son's disciples. It is a reminder that Mary, one of us, the perfect disciple, has now what we can have, body and soul, with the Lord for all eternity if we remain faithful disciples of her son. Mary's falling asleep, her assumption, was preserved by the church, both east and west, in the liturgy, as a sign of hope, a source of encouragement for us who are slogging our way through this messy pilgrimage of life, that what she has now, we can have, but only if we stay on the path of the gospel. <laughs>